morning, church. Scripture reading for today is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Always a very appropriate and timely passage for us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. This is the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. morning, everybody. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. Going to uh, introduce just a couple of newcomers here. <clears throat> Chris and Xiong. Yes, there's another Xiong. Uh, if you guys could just throw your hands up and I'll uh, just give them a nice warm <laughs> welcome. And Z Wang as well, Margaret's friend. If you could just shoot your hands up so we can recognize you. Z Wang, back there. Welcome to Cornerstone. We're glad that you guys can join us for our worship today. It's a pleasure to be able to worship with you. Uh, let me go ahead and begin with prayer. <clears throat> Father, pray today that your word would be powerful and that your word would penetrate deep into our hearts. We ask that your spirit would convict us and that we would be receptive to your word. Pray, God, it's not by the strength of me or the speaker ever. It is always dependent on the power that you do through uh, your Holy Spirit in us. Jesus, we pray. Amen. When you guys hear the quote, greed is good, what do you think of? Greed is good. Some of you guys think about Gordon Gekko when he infamously said this in the movie Wall Street. I personally, when I hear this, I think of the infinite money cheat in Warcraft. <laughs> Warcraft 2, a long time ago. Some of you guys might get that reference. But is greed actually good? We'll be going over that in today's sermon. The main point of today's sermon is this. Since we have eternal heavenly treasure, we no longer need to be greedy for earthly treasures. And it'll be in three points. Earthly treasures, heavenly treasures, and the role of treasures for a Christian. Earthly treasures. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
verse 19 of today's passage. I believe since the beginning of money, money has always been glorified in every single culture. Think about in our culture, in all the media, how many movies are centered around riches and wealth? I mean, think about Jerry Maguire. It is famous tagline from that movie. No, I'm not talking about the quote when Tom Cruise is looking into his girlfriend's eyes and he says, you complete me. And she responds by saying, you had me at hello. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the more famous line when he's talking to Cuban Gooding Jr. and for the first time making a sports deal because he's a sports agent and he's yelling in the phone saying, show me the money. Which is the infinite cheat code for StarCraft, if you guys don't know. The only reason why I know those two quotes is because of these games. <laughs> I had to look, I was like, I didn't know these came from movies, but now I know. Or when Drake says, oh, well, I guess you lose some and you win some, long as the outcome is income. Money is a powerful temptation. Greed. And we all have felt it. What does money promise you? What does money promise you? Imagine winning the lottery. What would you do with that extraordinary wealth? What would you do? Last year, <clears throat> um, the Powerball hit a record high of $1.5 billion. $1.5 billion. I'm not going to lie. I bought a ticket. I got one, okay? I bought one ticket. Not my proudest moment. And I will have to say, Sammy was against it. I told her, I'm going to buy a large ticket. She said, you don't have to. And I said, I don't care. I'm buying one. <laughs> but it's because of the extraordinary circumstances that I was in at the time. See, last year, uh, I don't know what it is, but People would always tell me and talk about uh, how hard times were. And it came to a point where I literally just would always respond the same way. And I, I would just say this. I would say, you know, tough times never last. Only tough people last. <laughs> and I would say that to anyone that would tell me about their problems. It came to the point where people just stopped telling me about their problems. They knew exactly what I was going to say. Uh, and this one particular night, I was just saying it almost after. Whenever anyone would speak, it was just my tagline that night. And I was hanging out with a couple of church members, and uh, there were eyewitnesses of this happening. Uh, we were hanging out, and what we decided to eat for dinner that night was Chinese food. And since it was a bunch of people, we had a bunch of fortune cookies. And I grabbed one of the fortune cookies after eating, opened up the fortune, and I read it, and it says, tough times never last. Only tough people last. I have a picture of this fortune cookie, and I, <laughs> I took it, and I showed everybody, and everyone was just shocked. And they, <laughs> and they thought maybe that, that fortune is truly going to be my fortune cookie. And the thing is, is like, what are the chances of just even like on the table or like 10 cookies, me to grab one of the cookies, 
And not only that, the millions of fortune cookies that we could have gotten in the world, I end up with that one. I said, God, this is a sign. This is it. On the back of fortune cookies, if you guys don't know, they're like numbers for lottery tickets. I, that night, I drove home. I went straight to 7-Eleven. I said, this is it. And I can't tell you the, the thoughts I had driving to 7-Eleven, thinking that in my hand I had the winning lottery numbers. I had it all planned out. If I were to win that $1.5 billion, it would be generational wealth. My kids and their kids and their kids never will have to work again. All planned out. Needless to say, I didn't win the lottery. <laughs> Not even close. I don't think I've hit one number. But my heart was swooned just by the idea of it. Growing up, I was taught one thing by my parents. Not one thing, but this is probably the most important thing that I felt like they were teaching, not only with their words, but with their lives. And it was this. We came to America, Sam. We risked it all. We risked it all. So you could have a better future, a better life. We came to America because of the opportunity. Sorry, Oma and Appa. <laughs> I became a pastor, so. <laughs> but looking back at it, now I know when they said the word opportunity, what they meant was money, wealth, riches, comfort, everything that money can bring you. Think about it. We have an entire generation of Koreans, second-gen Koreans, which most of us are, and every single one of our parents have almost the exact same story. They work long hours at liquor stores, at the deli, at the dry cleaners, just so you could have a better future. That impacts us as an entire generation. Greed is deep within all of us. And if you tell someone you don't struggle with greed, you're either lying to them or you're lying to yourself. How many verses do you guys think does God mention money in Scripture? 500. Seems like a lot. Thousand even. Seems like a tremendous amount. God mentions money more than 2,000 times in Scripture. Why? Why? It's because God knows the heart of man. And how much of the temptation money will be for us. Think about verses like, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? You strive every single day for your career to climb that corporate ladder only to neglect that more important things in your life, such as your friends, family, and church. Or the famous passage, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And I want to just point out, it's the love of money. It's not money itself. The reason why God mentions money so much in Scripture, it's because money is a very spiritual thing. 
right? It's physical in terms of its medium, but it's spiritual because of what it means to you. What does it promise you? Money often acts as a god, a false god, but a god nevertheless. Money is very spiritual. That's why it's mentioned so many times in Scripture. If you don't know, greed is one of the seven deadly sins. And just like all the other seven deadly sins, they are deeply interconnected. For instance, greed, right, can be closely tied with envy. Envy is just when you see someone richer than you and you are greedy for what they have. You want what they have. You're greedy. Or lust. Lust is just the greed of sex. Even gluttony. What is gluttony? Just the greed for food. The ultimate motivation of greed is the fear of death. The reason why we want to hoard and accumulate so much right now is so we can feel secure, financially secure, because we want to escape the inevitable end, which is our death. Deeply spiritual money. So you have to ask yourself, what are you greedy for? What are you greedy for? And I like to put in three categories. Treasures, pleasures, and measures. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. I made that up. That's, 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 that's all right off the dome. Treasures, pleasures, and measures. Treasures, anything of resource, money, time, energy. Are you trying to hoard these things for yourself? Pleasures, the enjoyments of life, traveling, food, name it. Is that what you are trying to hoard for yourself? Or measures, the respect that you gain for money, the respect that you may gain when other people look at you when they see your career. Oh, I almost said something. <laughs> Tell me why. Ah, I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it. I, I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it. <sighs> I want to pull a Will Smith, you know? All right. You have to ask yourself, what are you greedy for? Treasures, pleasures, or measures? Some of us, it's all three. But the thing about the greedy heart is even if you have all three of these things sufficiently, your heart will always say, I need more. I need more. Heavenly treasures. Verse 20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. If the reality of the promise of money in our lives is so strong, as a Christian, how do we combat that? The reality of money is so strong in our lives, how do we combat that as a Christian? Well, the answer is simple, with a greater reality, with a greater reality. The reason why so many of us still struggle with greed accumulating earthly riches is because many of us have yet to believe in the reality of 
the kingdom of God, of God's eternal inheritance for us. There is a lack of trust in the promise that God has given all of us. We all struggle with this. I still struggle with this unbelief. Well, the reason why we want to accumulate so much on this, in this world is because we yet to believe that the next world has so much more. For example, Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What's the reward? What's this passage saying? This passage is saying that Moses was willing to give up his treasures and his pleasures. He denounced his citizenship with Egypt, where he would have been Pharaoh, or at least high standing. He renounced that, gave that up because of the greater reward. Because he knew that there was a greater kingdom awaiting him. He had a greater reality. That the reality of the kingdom of God, of eternal riches and inheritance that God has promised him, was far greater than the reality he had in Egypt. What do you trust more? Your Egyptian kingdom or the promise of eternal inheritance God has waiting for you? What do you trust more? What is your greater reality? Or in Philippians 3, 4 through 11 says, this is Apostle Paul talking, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, as to righteousness under law, blameless. Apostle Paul is going through his list of accolades, his measures. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. Just to clarify here, this is translated as rubbish because the ESV wants to be PG here. But in the original Greek language, this word rubbish is not the word rubbish. It's actually a cuss word closer to the S word we all know. Sorsa. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a right... By the way, source if you don't know, it means diarrhea, okay? In Korean. Very few words I know in Korean. It's one of them. And, not, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Take note. Take note of this. Put this in your mind. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
Moses gave up his treasures, his pleasures. Apostle Paul gave up his measures, earthly measures. Both for the same reason. Because they believed in a greater reality. Why does Apostle Paul use a cuss word in his in the Holy Scripture. He must have found it important to have used that word instead of any other word. The reason being is because of the fact he wanted to show his audience the stark contrast between what he used to consider gain, he not only considers loss, but much further than that, he despises what he used to be. How is that possible? How do your treasures, everything you've done in your life, now become rubbish to you? How is that possible? Did you catch it? It's because of the power of the resurrection, the greater reality. See, when Apostle Paul, when he was walking through Damascus, going to persecute Christians, by the way, He ends up encountering Jesus. And in that very moment, what does he do? What does he do? In that very moment, when he sees Jesus, all of those things that he worked for his entire life for, ever since he was a little kid, training to be a Pharisee, probably at this time had already memorized all the Old Testament, all of these accolades that he has. He looks at that, and then he looks at Christ crucified, resurrected, glorified, and says, that now is rubbish. That is what I want. I want that resurrection power. When he sees Christ and he sees him in his glorified body, he looks at him and says, that is the reality. That is the true reality. See, all the prophecies, right, they always heard about resurrection. They were even sometimes debating about if it was even real. Apostle Paul saw it with his own eyes. And with that experience, his life changed. All he once counted as gain, he now counts as loss because of this new reality he sees right before him. We call that the Damascus experience. We call that the power of resurrection. Have you tasted that? Have you had your own Damascus experience? Have you ever come to terms of the reality of the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is resurrected and one day he promises you same glorified resurrection body? Has that reality ever come to you so, so real that you're able to see all the things of this world that you've accumulated and now you consider them to be rubbish? If you haven't, look what Apostle Paul says. That by any means possible, I may gain the resurrection from the dead. He was willing to do whatever it took to get that. only way we can combat the reality that money has for us in this world is to combat it with a greater reality. 
What is your greatest investment you can make in this world? Many of us contemplate the greatest investment we can make is our retirement funds. Many of us think, hey, what's so bad about that? I want to provide for my family, college funds for my kids. Aren't these all great investments? Sure. But they're not the greatest investment you can make. The greatest investment you can make in this world are not in earthly things, but in eternal heavenly things. Think about the eternal things that we have. We have the kingdom of God. We have souls that are eternal. We have church. We have God's word to be spread. We have missions. The greatest investment you can make right now is not in your retirement fund, but it is within the kingdom of God. Did you ever consider that? That perhaps your greatest investment would be in that? When I picture a beautiful church, what I imagine is this. Most churches in any, actually in any kind of organization, you have about 10% of people doing 90% of the work. For me, I would love when I see a church, if I can envision a beautiful church, that instead of only 10% of the people doing the work, 90% of the people are doing the work. I imagine every single person coming to church looking to serve one way or another. We can never have enough volunteers. I'll just say that right now. We'll figure out something for you to do. We can't have enough volunteers reaching out to newcomers, reaching out to those who are broken and lost, even within our own church. We can't have enough people opening up their houses, inviting people over for either CG or just as friends and family in Christ. We can't have enough people thinking of new ministries, such as sports ministries, outreach ministries, even an art ministry. I do not care. We cannot have enough people to do the work of God. See, if you have a talent in something, it could be music, it could be art, whatever it is, then you have the ability to bless someone. You do. You really do. It could be anything. One great way you can invest in the kingdom of God is investing in the next generation. And so the ultimate plug for Pastor Sheon, you're welcome. You owe me big time. We need volunteers for 9 o'clock children's ministry. We need volunteers for BBS. And I'm sure he would love it while he's, you know, feeding his newborn child and juggling his work in seminary. I'm sure he would find it encouraging to find 10 emails, 20 emails today saying, how can I help with BBS? I'm sure he would love that. Consider investing in your church. So what is the role of treasures for the Christian? Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What role should money play for a Christian? Well, the role is this. You should not be serving money. Money should be serving you. 
you find your place, if you find yourself in a place where you think you are serving money instead of money serving you, then you're probably struggling with the sin of greed. Probably. You should constantly be always having money being subservient to you and your agenda. For me, it's like a tool like anything else that God can give us. It will be used for the glory of God. The remedy for greed is generosity. There's some practical things you can do. The first thing, obviously, tithing. You can tithe. I know everyone doesn't tithe here. I know, you know how I know that? Because we don't have a gym yet. <laughs> if everyone tithe, you know, I'm not saying that's the ultimate goal, but I'm just saying, I know, I know, I know not everyone tithes. And I know it's not easy for everyone. In fact, if you're deep in debt, I would say maybe hold off on tithing. Give as much as you can. Pay off your debts, right? Let's be financially responsible. Get out of that debt. Then when you're in a place where you can, tithe. Please tithe. Tithing is helpful for the church, obviously, because it helps, you know, the staff. And it gives resources to the staff, including me. But also, you have to remember... Tithing is for you. Tithing is to protect your own soul from greed. Protect your own soul from the corruption that money can bring. Sammy and I, we think about budgeting our own money. And oftentimes we think about how generous we can be with what God has given us. It's not much. But with what God has given us, we try to be generous. We try to be generous with our hospitality. Never once do we put a cover charge when we invite people over for dinner. We don't ask them, can you just put, you know, $5 to cover this meal? No, we don't do that. We want to bless them, and we know it's a blessing for us to serve others. We imagine if we give 30% to the government, we can at least give 10% to our church. Not only that, and if you think about it, man, maybe that's the bare minimum for us, 10%. I would say, and this is a quote from Les Miserables, written by Victor Hugo, and he says this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So 10% minimum, I'll say, but find something that you really believe in, find something that you really love, we have pro-life clinics. We even have members at our church who work at pro-life clinics. If that's something you really believe in, right, compassion, whatever it is, imagine or try to imagine to being generous to those causes. How much can you give? You know, for me, the more God gives me, the way I look at it is the more I can be generous. don't need to accumulate the riches we have in this world because of the greater reality we have in Christ. How can we be so generous as Christians? Well, because Christ gave it all for us. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was the, in the form of God, and I count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why should we be so generous? Because Christ was generous to us. Christ gave his whole life for us. Christ was in fellowship with his Father. In heavenly riches, he needed nothing else. He lacked nothing. But he gave it all up. Came to earth as a man, taking the form of a human, a weak, feeble human. In order for us, so we who are nothing could gain everything through him. Christ was generous to us to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of that, church, we lack nothing. There is nothing we lack. Christ is really all we need, and he has given himself up for us. Let us pray. Father, it really won't take one sermon to completely eradicate greed from our own hearts. Even for me, wrestling with this sermon, I know it will be a struggle for me that goes beyond today. But this is what I pray, God, that it will be a struggle, that none of us will completely fall into the sin of greed, that we would always struggle and see this money as not something that we own, but something that all belongs to you. I pray, God, let us not only say that or profess that with our lips, but let us show that with what we do with our resources. Truly, God, we know that you were the most generous of all. And because of that, that enables us to be generous to each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. could all rise and we'll respond and worship.